0: Good morning, you hope. It's good to see if you'd like to take out your outline. Today I'm going to extend what Kimberly has done and actually talk from the Bible, from the scriptures, but I'm going to share also something that's very personal in terms of my mum, who's gone to heaven now, she was left, when her husband left her, with three stroppy boys. And we were a handful. And One of my brothers in particular spent 14 years, as many of you know, struggling and doing his own thing. And so today I want to draw some principles out, be it for men or for women, even if you don't have children yet, you can learn something from this, from the scriptures. And I've entitled the message, Encouragement for Hurting Parents, because let me tell you, those of you who don't have kids yet, you're going to find this hard to believe, but there's hardly anybody in the world that can hurt you as much as your kids. There's nobody you love more than your kids. And we often like to look at all the happy things, and there are lots of happy things. But we also need to deal with how to deal with things when they don't go as well as they should do. So this is part three in the series, Bless us, Home. Have you ever wondered why kids go astray? Does anybody know anybody whose kids have gone astray? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, okay. More? Any More? Okay, some of you guys don't like to admit that maybe. I do. I know people whose kids have gone astray. In my own family, and in my my extended family as well. Here's a, a a a more of a tough question. Why do kids of godly parents go astray? Why is that? Painful. Oh, that'll never happen to my kid. Maybe. But it can happen. Friends, there's not one answer to that question, why godly um, children, uh, parents of, try again, children of godly parents go astray. But I do know there are many examples in the scripture of godly parents whose kids went astray. They went haywire. Adam is a good example. Adam had two kids initially. What did Cain do? What did he do? He killed him. Right, exactly. Then we've got Noah, and then we've got people like Samuel, and Eli, and David. Holy moly, David's kids. A man after God's own heart, and then his kids ran amok. Friends, let me be really clear. There are many godly parents whose children have chosen the wrong way. So today... I want to look at a passage of scripture that shows us, you and me, and you who haven't got kids yet, not yet, but this is a good time to learn before we get there. And for those who are grandparents, how to look back, and these principles will still apply to you. And those who have got kids now, this will still apply to you. And those who have teenagers, this will especially apply to you. Okay, so that just about covers everybody. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to pull them out. Luke chapter 15. If you haven't, I've got some of the in front of you on your outline, and the verses the main verses will be on the screen. This is a parable about the prodigal son. And it is in the third, it is the third of three parables featuring the recovery of something valuable the recovery of something valuable and it's number three in that series the first two the first one actually in sequence is the parable that the foolish sheep who just wander away and they wander away from the fold and the shepherd goes out to find the lost sheep that's number one number two is about the the parable of the lost coin. the widow um, the coin rolls into the shadows of the corner of some woman's house but a diligent search for the sheep and a diligent search for the queen eventually restores what was lost to the owner and then they invite their friends to rejoice over the lost coin over the lost sheep now the third story, while involving similar elements differs dramatically from the first and the second story The first two involve, Jesus opens with a rhetorical question, inviting listeners to identify with God who searches for lost sinners. That's his first point. Then he breaks the pattern in the third parable and opens with a very sobering statement. A man had two sons. You see, what's happening here is the stakes have been massively raised. Lost sheep can be written off, lost coins can be replaced, but not lost sons. Big uptake here. So the moral component is, I, is intensifying. Again, sheep wander off and call, uh, coins roll away, simply behaving according to their natures but sons are responsible for their choices. So this powerful parable not only shows how God deals with lost people in love, but it also illustrates some very powerful principles for parenting from the perfect father. And we're going to see three stages in this parent-child power struggle and conflict and you're going to have those in your home be prepared for this Wendy number one we're going to see this and we're going to drill into them we're going to see a rebellion take place and then we're going to see a re-evaluation and then finally we're going to see a return or a restoration happen three stages that's a big picture now let me drill into them the first one is the stage of rebellion and you'll find that in verse 11 through 16 the Bible says here in Luke 15, 11 through 12, it says a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. Now the father could elect to do this of his own free will in the old Jewish customs, but for a child to demand his inheritance was an egregious, presumptuous act of rebellion. By demanding his inheritance early, the younger son was ev- is essentially divorcing his father. Putting it bluntly, he treated his father here as though he was dead. That's how he's treating him. The inheritance is mine, you is dead to me. Powerful moral principles going on here. Now, in every parent child relationship, there is a power struggle that'll go on. And it will start when they are little whippersnippers and they can't even speak. We call this in Christian from a Christian worldview, and it starts with the doctrine of original sin. That's where it goes back to. You never have to teach your child how to be selfish, how to be all about me. You never have to teach him how to be mean or how to lie. All those things are inbuilt. The Bible says, in sin my mother conceived me, and iniquity was brought forth. So there's this power struggle going on. Now, when a child is born... You are in 100% pretty much control. But as a, as a child grows, the power shifts to them. Here's a classic from, before we get there, though, how many of you would you agree though that kids often want control quicker than parents are prepared to give it? <laughs> Can I see hands? Yeah, exactly. So same in my family. Here's a classic confrontation, verse 12. Here it comes, Father, give me. Give me. His attitude and thinking is, if I could do my own thing and get out of this place, I'll be boss and life will be grand. I won't be answerable to you anymore. You're going to hear that coming. Beware, Vincent. (laughs) I want to be my own boss and life will be great. Verse 13. Not long after that, The young son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country. Get as far away as possible. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now he didn't merely live off the money until it was gone or even make unwise necessarily investments. The Bible says he used that money and those resources to fuel his rebellion. Today, kids don't have to leave home to live separate lives anymore. They can lead a different life and we may not even know about it. So what do you do when your kid is old enough and you can't control them and they want out? I'm out of here. I'm leaving. What do you do? Well, first of all, it's painful. But this is the first thing you do: you do what the prodigal, uh, what the father did of his prodigal son. You let them go. You let them go. I want you to notice something. Although it would have been tremendously painful, it would have broken his heart. That very wise father knew to let him go. He didn't chase him. Please come back. Please come back. No, 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 no. There comes a time in every child's life where you have to let them go. Even if they're going to make decisions which you know are not going to end well. Now I want to be really clear. It can be a very hard thing to let your child go, right? Especially when you know they're going to hurt themselves or make a stupid decision which is going to severely impact their lives. And we see this in verse 13a. And the younger son set off for a distant country. The second thing which I really want to underline from this parable is you do what this father did again, you let them make their own mistakes. Would you write that down if you're taking notes? You let them make their own mistakes. The son is busting to leave and have a great time. And he totally throws out all that he's been taught at home with his parents who have been done the very best they could. Sure, they weren't perfect. Nobody's saying that. But they did the very best they could with what they had. And the Bible says there in verse 13b, and he squandered his wealth and while living. See, rebellion is always a waste. Now, do you think his father knew that his son would get in trouble? Do you think that was possibly even when he was feeling so pained that he he was tempted to send a letter of advice to his son? I could understand how that could be the case. But be careful. Because some things in life are only learned through pain. Through pain. The only way this kid will learn is through pain. And the Bible says that. Do you know that? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 30, this is a life verse for me. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Pain how many of you would agree with that verse yeah, yeah, yeah good you guys know what it's like about reality how many of you are living proof of that verse <laughs> me absolutely rebels must face the painful reality of their insanity before they will repent which comes to the next point at this point, when we see our children in pain, what I've often seen, and my mother was a great example of how to do this right. My brother would effectively get himself in a big, a big briar patch of cactus. And the great temptation of parents is to rush around and put a cushion under their bottom so when they come flying down, it's not going to hurt so much. That is a big mistake. They need to feel, ow, That hurt. That's a good thing because no amount of yelling, screaming, and arm wrestling with them is going to do a thing. Nothing. So point C is let them reap the consequences of their choices. This was their choice, and they own that responsibility. They made the choice. They own the responsibility. Do not rescue your children from stupid decisions that they made. If you do, you'll be mummying and daddying them for the rest of their lives and they will never grow up. Verse 14. Notice this. This is from the scriptures. After he had spent everything, you know, not a cracker left, (laughs) down to the brass tacks, there was a severe famine in the land. Excuse me, in this version it says in the whole country. And, this is the part where it gets good, now we've burnt everything, and he began to be in need. Now historians have recorded the bizarre depths of what humans will do, and that they will sink to, in this to survive a famine. I won't even mention some of those things here, but it is extreme what humans will do when they're faced with starvation. So the Bible says he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now there's an immediate problem here. Jews and pigs don't go together. You may realize that. And the Bible says he longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating. Do you know what? I went to university and I had to leave home. I left home very young and I went to a little place down in Palmerston, it was so cold and freezing. And I lived flatted with a person. And my flatmate and I, were supposed, we were paying in those days $67 a week. Now that was how many years ago? Flipping it, 40 years ago. So that was real money back then, real money. We were so hungry in this lady's place, she went away for labor weekend one day and I caught my friend, eating cat food. He was starved. My mother-in-law, bless her heart, used to send me milk biscuits, which is sent to the Africans so they didn't starve. We had no money, no protein. This guy was starving. This guy longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. And by the way, that was um, second-class food here, but no one gave him anything. So here he is, empty pockets. Empty stomach, no friends at the end of his rope. How do you think his parents were feeling about at that point? He was destitute, he was starved. Now, they could feel concerned if they knew, they could feel embarrassed. What's my son doing in a pigsty? You don't get any lower, let me be clear. And feeding slop to pigs if you're a kosher Jew. That made you unsanitary. Now parents will often wonder, why is my child doing this? We taught them better than that. But kids make choices, and choices have consequences. And God is a perfect parent, but even he had rebellious children. Remember Adam? but make less than optimal choices. So somewhere I want you to write down there a little sentence, it's only a few words, and it says parental responsibility ends where control ends. Parental responsibility ends, full stop, where control ends. Now the big temptation here is when they hit the bottom, do not send them an aid package. Do not send them money. What would have happened if the father in this story had sent more money? More wine, more women, just blow it. There's no change of heart. But the Bible says it takes a painful experience to change our ways. Be careful also of offering solutions. Even if he comes around or she comes around. And, 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 and you're tempted to say, "Oh, this is how you fix it. You do this, you do that, you do the other. Instead, ask questions. Hmm, I'm really sorry Jeremy that that's happening so empathize the next question's a killer what do you think you should do about it you see what I've done I'm not solving this problem I don't I'm putting it back on them What do you think you should do about that? I'm not owning the problem, this is not my problem. You made the choice, you need to figure out the consequences and how to work out from there. Painful circumstances of a way of disciplining our kids and teaching lessons that you and I will never be able to do. I think I've told you once before, one of my children one day did something silly, never did it again since, but he did something silly and he ended up spending a night in the police cell. He called me, he said, Dad, I said, well, I know she didn't come home last night, this person. Yeah, I, I'm a police cell. I'm, I said, what do you do? He told me. He said, oh. I said, how's that working out for you? I said, well, it's cold and it's a long way. I'm in Papakura. I said, and he said, can you pick me up? I said, buddy, I'm sorry, mate. You got yourself there. How are you going to get yourself home? He walked home with bare feet from Papakura. And I promise you, as my wife is my witness, he never, ever did that again. If I'd have provided the taxi service over to him, ah, there's no pain involved. Just a bit of discomfort sleeping. But that walk home gave him a long time to think, especially the blisters on his feet. The point is this do not short circuit the natural consequences of the choices your children make. That's the point. If they make a choice and hit bottom, they need to reap those consequences. That is how we learn. Now because the father didn't intervene and keep sending money and perpetuating that, listen, if you, one of the signs of your children are maturing is that they're economically independent. If your children are continuing to ask for money from you, there's a problem, and you are the problem because you are feeding that habit. Stop it, cut it off. Do not support, otherwise you're gonna end up. What we see today, children used to get a job, or young men used to get a job at 16 years old. I started work at nine years old, nine, where you could hardly see at the top of a motor mower handle. Today, I see kids at 28 and 30 still haven't got a job. That's a deep concern to me. That shows something's not right. Do not intervene, and because the father in this did not intervene, the son goes to stage two. Here it is: stage two. There's a stage of reevaluation and regret. Reevaluation and regret is stage two. See, eventually the pressing need brought—I love this phrase—it brought him to his senses. See, swine herding paid next to nothing. And he even found himself, get this, envying the pigs. <laughs> Their diet of carob pods. These are, I think I put a, a photo on, did I, have you got something here? Harry? Yeah, that's what they look like. Take a good look, how's that for breakfast, lunch or dinner? That's what he was eating, or the pigs were eating. They were hard bean-like seeds encased in leathery, Pods, barely edible by humans. And they weren't even the first choice for the farmer. They were feeding those in the famine, because that's the least they had. The Bible says in the next verse, when he came to his senses, he said, Huh, what am I thinking? How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? In other words, his servants. When I'm here starving to death, I here's a brilliant idea I will set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him Father I have sinned notice the change in attitude more humble by the way God always gives grace to the humble but he's opposed to the proud I've sinned against heaven God and I've sinned against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son Make me like one of your hired men. Notice again the change in attitude. When he came to his senses, I will go back. He woke up one day and thought, Holy moly, my lives are flipping mess. What am I doing? And the boy looked at the pigs and remembered the status of his father's servants who were better off than him right then. So vivid comparison suggested a reasonable solution. I love this, what C.S. Lewis said. I came across this this week before. It says, he said this, pain plants a flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. Pain plants a flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. Because you will find, boy, they are bulletproof for all of their answers until pain cracks it open. So in other words, we never change until we're desperate. Desperate. Now some children that you will have, and some grandchildren, will learn lessons really easily. Some, it takes a lot longer for slow learners. Some of you, it took many lessons to bring you to your senses. Me too. Now notice, as I read this again, the rehearsed, rehearsed, humility in the speech he acknowledges the affront to his father without minimizing it or justifying Or what really irritates me as an employer when I've had 300 sales staff is people blame shifting. Well I didn't get the sales because of this or this or it's the economy or it's that. Just blame shifting. He didn't say oh it was a mistake. He didn't say that. He took responsibility for making the wrong moral decision, one that estranged him from his father and God. He also acknowledged the consequences of a decision. His admission says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now that was not a platitude. That was a fact. He had legally, you lawyers, Forfeited his status as a son. And Jewish tradition actually permitted parents in similar circumstances to hold a funeral for their son, should this happen. To hold a funeral. The son left his lofty expectations in the pigsty with oh, his sin, and he had a change of heart. And a change of mind. And instead of being asked him to be restored as a son, he offered to become a hired servant. Well, that's rational, because it's way better off being a servant than the pigsty. And the boy's speech then demonstrated maturity. I own this mistake. I own the consequences. It demonstrated humility and compassion for those he harmed. And he had that, therefore, you see, evidence... You need to see evidence because some children will try and manipulate you. that need truly return to his senses. The Bible calls this repentance. Metanoia. He had a change of mind, a change of heart. So he heads home, not for a change of clothing, but he goes with a changed heart. Now, what what do you do in this phase two? In summary, I'm just going to give it quickly to you down the side there. When your kids or people that you know in this phase, what do you do? You do three quick things. Number one, you pray for your kids. Pray, pray, pray. And remember, Mum used to say this: God loves that son. In this case, it was Pat. He loves Pat more than even I love him. So I'm going to pray, 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 and he will tell you today how important that was. So you pray for your kids. Number two, you commit them to God. Things that are out of my control, I can't be everywhere where my children are, and neither can you, but God can. Commit them to God. And this is probably, I know it's the third, but for some reason, Christian parents seem to think and they seem to miss this one a lot wait do not go fishing and short circuit the process well how are you doing don't do that wait just like the perfect heavenly father did and then that leads to stage number three which is the return looking at the perfect father let's see how he handles the return And by the way, that may not be a week or two or three or a year or two or three. It could be a decade or more. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Isn't that beautiful? So during the boy's absence, his father had continued with his life. He got on with life, but he kept an eye on the horizon. The story of our heavenly father doesn't depict this guy with his arm folded and a furrow in his brow of disapproval. That's not what this story depicts at all. One day the father caught sight of his son on a distant horizon. And rather than waiting for the foolish boy to come crawling, his father threw aside his own dignity and do something that no near eastern father would have ever done. And there are three things that you can do when your child eventually wises up. Number one, you need to love him faithfully. Love them faithfully. They may not love you faithfully. But you need to love them faithfully. His father saw was filled with compassion. No matter how far they fall or how long you wait, you need to leave the door open for reconciliation. So you love them faithfully. And again, let me just say that again. They may not always be faithful to you, but you are the parent. Just like the Heavenly Father loved them faithfully, but you don't bail them out in advance. Some people today call that tough love. And that's exactly what the Father did because he wanted him to grow up. B, you accept them unconditionally. And I'm going to qualify what that means, which sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. The Bible says, I love this, look at the picture. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's a moving picture. He didn't set conditions on his love. He didn't say, hey, you better get a bath. Get your hair cut. Then I will accept you. By the way, where's the kid coming from? A pigsty. You've ever worked with pigs? You know it's a bit stinky. So the father doesn't go, oh, hello at a long distance. He has a huge big bear hug. Because the language of love always has a physical side to it. Always. Fathers, I said this last week. I'll say it again. Hug your kids. Pat them on the back. Kiss them. Do you know... This may shock you. You can accept somebody without approving of their lifestyle. Jesus did. And we as Christians are called to accept everyone. The father fully accepted the wandering son who chose to come back. And he showed his acceptance by a big bear hug. Which also, by the way, made it very much easier for him to admit that it was wrong. Look at the son's confession in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, while people set, some people set up lengthy systems of probation, God receives a sinner instantly. Do you make it easy, my question to you, when your kids for your kids to admit that they are wrong? Do you make it easy? Or do you make it really difficult? Remember here, we are looking at the perfect father. I want to point that out. Because usually when children come back after a time of rebellion, there needs to be a mutual confession. I've done things. I haven't been the father or the mother I, I want to be or that God would want me to be. And then C, forgive them, forgive, forgive them completely. Forgive them completely. And that is in keeping with the act of repentance. You need to see the evidence. Luke 15, 22. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatter calf, kill it, and let his end be merry. For the son of mine was dead. So I told you about the funeral. And he's come back to life again. You can tell the father had let him go completely he was lost and he's now been found and they began to be merry i love that twice it says Mary, merry Mary. there we go the father didn't say he did not say and this takes maturity i told you so i knew you would waste your money boy that's itchy be very careful if you catch yourself trying to say i told you so that's not endearing that doesn't enroll your kids The last thing this guy needed was a sermon. Life and the school of hard knocks had taught him a very important and clear lesson. And the father gave him another chance. Quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on. In Jewish culture, a robe was a symbol of family togetherness. Saying, it's effectively saying, you are restored to the family and to the fellowship. And the ring was a sign of responsibility because typically it was like a credit card to go go. It had the family name on it. So when the son came back home, notice this: the father gave him responsibility. Now there's a principle here you've got to catch, and it's subtle. Do not let them become dependent upon you again. While some return and say, "Oh well, I made such a stuff up of my life, Dad." I can't, I'm not responsible enough. Some people say that. I'm no good at anything. I've made so many mistakes. They become anxious and they become immature again and they become irresponsible because they want to give responsibility back to the, the parents. Some are anxious for a father-like figure to make all the decisions for them. They're so bruised and battered. But one of the things that you and I need to do as parents is to encourage our kids towards responsibility and this father was a wise father he would not let his son become a servant and take orders but he wanted him to grow up and take responsibility for his decisions and the actions and the resulting consequences actually this story should be called the story of the loving father he's the hero the father this story illustrates how God deals with you and me in our rebellion we've made our mistakes and we've rebelled and God calls that sin and sin causes problems in our lives and without the help of God and the reconciliation which was made possible through Jesus Christ we'll end up with constant worry anxiety boredom bitterness Depression and stress and pressure and marriage problems and parenting problems problems at work and even international in a bigger, bigger scale international problems all because we have a bunch of people who want to do their own thing but when we come in honesty and sincerity and we humbly admit our mistakes then what does God do when we do that does he go okay about time he did that now go sit in the corner for the rest of your life no On the contrary, he gives us a second chance. And he is the only one who's got the ability to take the mess of our lives and make something beautiful out of it. And some of you have kids and the jury is still out. Some of you have grandkids and the jury is still out. Some of you have kids and your heart is breaking because they've hurt you. And they've rejected your values and you're wondering why. As we close this, I want to ask, do you think God understands what it's like to have rebellious uh, rebellious children? If you do, give your hurt to God. How many times have you heard this? And you're going to hear this if you haven't already heard this. Here it goes. It goes, it's my life, leave me alone. Anybody heard that? Yeah, absolutely. If my family would just back off, life would be great. That's like the illustration. Imagine you're out on the west coast, way out in the Tasman Sea, between here and Australia, waiting for somebody to rescue you, just bobbing out and down the boat in a dinghy. And perhaps, out of boredom or some misplaced sense of entitlement, you take out the pocket knife that you've just been given for your birthday a few months back. And you start cutting a hole under your seat. And your parents go, What on earth are you doing? You're going to sink our ship. And you go, hold on. This is my knife that I got for my birthday. This is my hole and this is my seat. <laughs> Friends, my point is simply this for the rest of your life, everything that you do will affect other people in your life, especially those who you love the most. You do not have the right to just do your own thing because you are not a Lone Ranger. You have responsibilities. I have responsibilities to my wife. I have responsibilities to my children, my brothers, and my parents when they were here. So maybe, just maybe, today on Mother's Day will be a time for mutual reconciliation. Where you are prepared to think, you know, I've actually been doing my own thing. Or, I haven't been the father or the mother that I want to be, or God wants me to be. Kids, you may also need to say and consider, maybe I haven't listened to my parents when I should have. And maybe there needs to be some reconciliation, some harmony, and some restitution. Let's bow our heads and pray. Friends, what's important is not what's gone on in the past. But it's the direction of your feet today. Are you ready to come to your father and have your sins forgiven? To run into his arms and to take the distance out of your relationship with him? Would you say yes to Jesus Christ this morning? Would you say in your heart that I want you to be my father? And I need you and I believe that you sent your son Jesus Christ to take the punishment for my sin. And I want to live as a member of your family. Would you make yourself real to me and help me to change and be the person that you designed me to be? If you've made that decision in your life, would you let a friend know or who maybe brought you or you can with or just let me know on your communication card. Just pop it in the bucket as it goes by at the end of this service today. Father, thank you today that you are a perfect father and that you inspire us and you strengthen us to do the things that we should do. for this message today and thank you Father for your guidance through the great times and the tough times you are always with us we our, this, the rest of this day into your hands and thank you for your presence with us and everybody said Amen God bless you